Good day and welcome to After School History. After School History is everything you've always wanted to hear and talk about, um, but you couldn't when you were in school because not everything was appropriate for the level and not everything dealt with curriculum. Well, here at After School History, we throw all of that out the window. I am your humble host, Anthony J. Ashitino. I currently teach history uh, in the greatest urban school district in the state, Elizabeth. Um, and what I wanted to do with this podcast is I wanted to use it as my opportunity um, to get a lot of the things out that I couldn't teach in school. Things that, you know, students over the years have come up to me and said, hey, you know, I, can we talk about this? Can we talk about that? And, you know, you always want to, but you're restricted a lot of the times. You're restricted by curriculum. There's a pacing guide. There's an assembly called out of the blue. Not here. Not, not in after school history. There's no such thing. And so I'll be talking about all different topics, um, you know, with history, with politics, culture, religion, everything. Because the great thing about history and the reason why it's the most awesome subject, um, except for math and science and language arts and all the other fun subjects that we have, the reason why it's great is because it really takes in everything. I mean, you can't really have, for example, you know, if you're in a biology class, it's difficult to bring Shakespeare up. Um, if you're in a math class, it's difficult to bring Immanuel Kant up. It's difficult to bring, you know, the, the, the uh, Soviet Civil War up, um, or the Russian Civil War, rather. But in history, you can bring any of that up. In social studies, you can bring all of it up. I mean, you, you can ask about Sir Isaac Newton, talk about calculus. You could talk about Shakespeare. You could talk about um, Gregor Mendel. You can talk about Charles Darwin. It's all out there. It's all something that we can talk about. So that's what I wanted to do. Um, I suppose I'm going to launch right into things here because rather than bore you with another five minutes about me and about uh, this and that, I did talk about a couple of things right now uh, that have been on my mind uh, because it's uh, stuff that's been relevant lately. So we're talking about history and we're talking right now about uh, politics in particular. Uh, a couple of major things have happened. Number one, uh, in the United States here, uh, the ongoing battle between uh, President Trump and Congress uh, has hotted up, as the Brits would say. Uh, it has gotten to a point right now where we're really looking at uh, what I feel is a full-on constitutional crisis. Um, look, this has nothing to do with being Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. What it has to do with is the fact that you currently have a president and a White House that is uh, simply flouting the rule of law. They're ignoring subpoenas. They're ignoring congressional entreaties. They're ignoring the courts. And I know there's a lot of talk about impeachment. Uh, not going to happen. Uh, spoiler alert for those of you. At least it's not a spoiler alert on Game of Thrones, which thankfully we won't have to watch anymore. But, um, you know, you're not going to get any kind of an impeachment. The Republicans in the Senate will never even allow it to be heard. And even if you manage to take back the Senate with the Democrats, you're not going to have that. What's important about um, actually launching an impeachment investigation is that you will then be able to have a lot of different options. Um, you'll be able to uh, subpoena a lot more records. You'll be able to look into things more. And more importantly, you'll be able to take the case to the American people that this is not a good president, that his, um, his way of doing things is antithetical to the very values that founded this country. Um, you know, we're not just looking at something, you know, I, I'm, I have an intense dislike of Mr. Trump, but I'm not going to let that color my judgment here. The reality is that you've got someone who is uh, dismantling 
the very foundations of the Republic. Um, now, as a historian, I can easily talk about uh, the Roman Empire. And yes, I know, get the laugh out of your system. But the reality is this. In ancient Rome, um, you had a time period, nothing happens overnight. In ancient Rome, things didn't happen overnight. In ancient Rome, you had a long period of a couple of decades uh, where uh, wealth inequality took off. So the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. And um, there started to become a sense that, you know, you had to basically, you know, sell your soul in order to run for politics, uh, which in the United States today, uh, it, you know, with very few exceptions, um, you know, is the case. I mean, if you actually, uh, you know, there's a great website, followthemoney.org, uh, which I'm throwing out there as a free spot, followthemoney.org, you can look up every uh, political race in, in the country and you can look up the, you know, the, the what was spent. If you actually do this, you will find that almost inevitably, whoever spends more money wins. And yes, I'm sure that, you know, in some races, and I haven't looked up every race in the country, I'm sure there are races where the amount of money spent is in the tens of thousands or, you know, even the thousands, depending on if you're in a rural community somewhere. But, you know, where I live in New Jersey, um, you know, if you wanted to win a state Senate seat or a state representative seat, I'm not talking about, you know, U.S. Congress, I'm talking about the state seat, you have to fundraise a couple of hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. Not everyone can do that. Um, the idea, you know, I mean, when you're talking about state races, you're talking about millions of dollars. And I don't even go into the fact that, you know, we have issues of poverty in this country and we have issues, uh, uh, you know, where it's like, listen, people are going hungry, yet somehow we managed to raise, you know, $5 million for a senator's, you know, uh, run at things. Um, it, it just, it's excluding large portions of the population. And even in the House of Representatives, which the founders intended to be uh, that place where the everyman, um, and I say everyman because they had no intention for it being women, thankfully today things have changed, and and thankfully we do have women in there, um, some of the best, absolutely. But the fact of the matter is that you have to still be able to raise millions and millions of dollars to get one of these seats in many cases, okay? Um, and that's just that's just outrageous. Uh, but what we're dealing with right here is we're dealing with an administration that is uh, slowly chipping away at separations of power, at equality of the different branches of government, okay? Uh, and in ancient Rome, you saw that. You saw the chipping away. You saw individuals end up taking on more power than the actual Senate of Rome. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of scary because there was no reason for that uh, to have happened uh, except that the entrenched elites were very happy to go about their merry business and they were very happy to, you know, just continue making uh, exorbitant amounts of money by taxing colonies overseas Um and eventually you had populist candidates who came out there. And look, when, when President Trump ran for the presidency, uh, there was an appeal to him on, on for some people, uh, mainly in two areas. Number one, there were the people that felt that he would drain the swamp, that he would completely, you know, upend things. He was he was already rich, so he wouldn't have to take more money, which he has already, by the way, uh, proven that he, he can never, you know, make enough money. He can never graft enough and, you know, grift enough. 
But the other thing was that there were a tremendous amount of people who just wanted to stick it to liberals in this country after eight years of President Obama. Uh, and that has a tremendous appeal. It really does. Um, and so uh, you, what you ended up with was you ended up with, um, you know, a man being elected uh, because too many people said, well, you know what, Hillary just doesn't excite me. I'm going to vote for this. And the fact that you had, uh, you know, Russian interference in the election. And I think that's one of the things that makes me the most upset. The fact of the matter is this. Look, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, aren't you interested in finding out if a foreign country, a foreign power, one that is not always friendly to us, has interfered in our elections? I mean, I sure as hell am. There's no question about that. Uh, if, if Russians were helping a Democrat, I would have a problem with it. Uh, we need to keep our elections safe and secure. Uh, and especially given the fact that, you know, there, there are now, I mean, all of this is coming out. It's all coming out now where we're finding that, you know, the president has been up to his eyeballs, uh, you know, with Russians. Um, everywhere you look with him, there are Russians. I mean, I, I know a couple of Russians in my life. I don't know that many. And I'll tell you what, if you investigated me, you wouldn't find a lot of Russians popping up everywhere. You wouldn't find a lot of Russians. You wouldn't find a lot of Russian oligarchs, okay? Um, you wouldn't find a lot of deals where, you know, Russians were trying to make, uh, you know, my podcast the number one podcast on the web. Maybe they will. I don't know. I mean, I'd be happy if my podcast became very successful. Um, I wouldn't be happy if the Russians were helping it along the way, though, because quite honestly, uh, I, I really don't want their help. Um, I, I don't want anything to do with most of them. Uh, Roman Abramovich, the owner of Chelsea FC, uh, being the exception to the rule here, um, because I love my Chelsea, I love my blues. But that's besides the point. The bottom line is that there's no, it's really concerning, because there's no real interest shown by the Republicans in Congress right now in securing our elections for 2020. Now look, if Trump wins again, I'll, I'll be very depressed uh, about it. Um, I don't, I don't think that I'll, I'll say it's totally unexpected since as an historian, um, presidential elections are usually decided based on the economy. People vote with their pocketbooks, okay? If the economy is doing well, presidents end up, you know, uh, holding uh, power. You can look back at this uh, all you want. Um, you know, if, if you look back to President Obama, uh, you know, he ran for office uh, you know, um, against John McCain, and the economy is not doing great. He made promises, and then in in uh, twenty twelve, the economy was doing better. He won re-election. If you go back to Clinton, I mean, Clinton is the poster child for it. Uh, you know, one, you know, it's the economy stupid. Uh, in ninety two, one again in ninety six, because the dot com boom had been raging, and you know, he managed to capitalize on it. And then, uh, you know, in two thousand, um, you know, George W. managed to eke that one out. By 2004, things are going well. Now, the economy collapsed afterwards because of the housing market, you know, which, which should have been obvious to anyone, uh, but, it, but it did. But then you go back, look at his father, George H.W. Why did he lose to Clinton in 92? He lost because the economy had taken a little bit of a downturn. But the bottom line is that when the economy is doing well or when people feel the economy is doing well, presidents usually get reelected. So despite all of the, you know, knocks on Trump, um, there's a very decent chance he's going to be reelected. I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and even now, more than anything, 
uh, the country has become completely split. I mean, it's become split on the levels of like, you know, almost, almost 1860 levels of, of splitting you know, where the Southerners wouldn't even put um, Lincoln on the ballot in, in many states. But, you know, people that support Trump are going to continue supporting him. Uh, you know, my brother, who I'll hopefully be having on on this podcast, uh, let me tell you that will be a real treat for you guys because, um, you know, he lives in a different world than I do. Um, you know, which one lives in the real world depends on who you ask and how much anyone's had to drink. But the bottom line is that, you know, he's, he's a very conservative individual. Um, and that's something that, you know, his, his whole thing is he's constantly arguing on behalf of the fact that um, <clears throat> the, the, the way things are going... Uh, everything's looking groovy for Trump, you know, greatest president of all time and whatnot. Uh, so we'll we'll have that we'll have that going on. But as far as um, you know, we're talking about with the republic, you know, I, I think it's a real concern for many people um, that you have the potential that the current president um, is is being maybe blackmailed, um, or that he's just looking to make money off of this, um, as he often has tried. Uh, you know, and he views this as another avenue to making money. I mean, it's just unbelievable how much has come out here. Any other administration, I mean, you know, for crying out loud, those of you who are old enough, I'm 41, by the way, just to throw that out there. Any of you who are old enough to remember Gary Hart, and he's uh, one of the earlier incarnations of my uh, political, you know, uh, being able to look at things. I mean, Gary Hart, you know, had, uh, it was a Donna Rice, I believe, you know, sitting on his lap in the you know, uh, the boat, and that was it for him. He was done. He was done. Um, you know, this president has had more allegations cast against him, um, you know, which you can either view as a, you know, a witch hunt, as he likes to say, um, or you can say, as I tell my kids, I'm like, listen, you know, if if you have a problem with one teacher, I tell my students, not my real kids, my students, I call them my kids because they are, and they could be at this age level. I tell my students, listen, if one teacher says they have a problem with you, it's possible it's the one teacher. You know, sometimes teachers, you know, get it uh, stuck in their craw that they don't like kids, and, and that's that. If two teachers agree that a kid is being problematic, okay, that makes you raise an eyebrow. But when basically all of your teachers are saying that, listen, this kid is acting inappropriately, this kid is, uh, you know, a problem in every class. Well, that, that maybe suggests that the issue isn't with the teacher. The issue is with you. Um, and maybe that's the thing. The teachers don't need to change. You need to change. And that's kind of how I view it with, with Trump, where you have so many accusations. And, and because several of them have been borne out to be true, um, you know, it almost gets to the point where you're like, well, you know what, maybe, maybe he is the problem. Maybe these people aren't all, maybe it's not just a massive conspiracy for, you know, numerous women to accuse him of improprieties, in inappropriateness. I mean, look at it with Bill Cosby, you know, that's what happened with him was, was, you know, multiple women came out and said, yeah, no, this is the, uh, this is the playbook right here. This is what he did. And uh, eventually he was convicted. Um <clears throat> Now, with the president, you know, I don't see any of that happening anytime soon. Um, I do think that it's definitely an issue where people are doing, you know, conservatives are, you know, doing a nose pin vote. Um, they're looking at him as advancing their agendas. 
uh, which he is, which he absolutely is. And so they're happy to continue supporting him, um, you know, uh, as far as it goes. Uh, but, you know, again, my problem is with Trump, but it's also with his treatment of the way that the democracy works, the way the republic functions, because that's the real problem. Look, Trump will be out of office eventually, okay? I, he talks about getting a third term, a fourth term. Um, you know, the, I really don't feel that the American people, in a large part, will tolerate that. I mean, I could reference back to, you know, the Supreme Court, Roosevelt trying to pack the Supreme Court back in the 30s. The American people on both sides, you know, fully rejected that, because there are certain things you just don't screw with. And, you know, two terms is, is great, uh, and then you're out. I mean, for crying out loud, Clinton would have won a third term if he wanted. Clinton probably still be president if you didn't have term limits. But we have term limits for a good reason, because it's never good to have too much of someone. Okay, it's not. No matter how good they are, uh, and especially no matter because no matter how bad they are, you want to have limits on things. But the problem is that, you know, Trump is pretty inept at stuff, if I may. The issue comes that if you get someone younger who says, listen, this is the, the, the way we can exploit it. Caesar did not bring down the Republic, okay? He did not. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The people that brought down the Republic were Marius and Sulla and Pompey, okay? Um, and Cato to a lesser degree. The thing was that these guys set the trend, you know, Marius, uh, you know, recruiting the army was one thing, but Sulla coming in there and then marching in Rome, slaughtering thousands of people, and they set the record, they set the pace that if you could raise your own army and you could m march on Rome and kill your adversaries, uh, the Senate was inept. It couldn't function. It would not oppose. Now, this is what happened. Um, and then Sulla retired. Caesar famously quoting later on, you know, Sulla did not know his political ABCs. Um, you know, that's the reality. Caesar simply inherited a situation where when he realized that, you know, the, the Senate was against him, uh, he simply did what he had to do and, and he exploited things. Uh, I'm not saying I'm a huge fan of Caesar, but I'm saying that, you know what, he, it, it's not like he was the first one to be like, yeah, listen, the Senate is saying this, uh, I beg to differ, Okay. Uh, I'm going in here and I'm going to do my own thing. That's the problem. Trump, by undermining our democratic institutions, which he clearly is, is setting the stage for someone uh, in in later years to come in there and be like, well, this is the precedence. Okay, this is the precedent. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And who's going to stop me? You know, populism always comes about. Uh, inevitably, and eventually, in all democracies, you end up having to deal with populism. And that's what Trump represents. You know, Trump is, in fact, the very uh, person that uh, the, the Electoral College was designed to prevent from taking office. Um, you, you had one job to do, Electoral College. One job to do. You failed. Maybe that's why 15 states now, as of the uh, posting of this podcast, 15 states have actually... Uh, said that they are going to give their electoral votes to whoever wins the national popular vote. Uh, because it's getting really tiresome that the person who wins the popular vote in the nation, meaning you know, 63 million people wanted Hillary Clinton to be president, 60 million wanted Trump to be president, Trump became president. That's inherently bad. 
And if you're going to make an argument with me, uh, if you if you want to put in the messages, oh, but you know the, that then they'll ignore the the you know the small states. Well, I would counter with the following: small states in this country have an inherent advantage over large states in that they get the two senators, no matter what their population is, um, and they get the representative. So if you are going to look at people that they get into Congress as a proportion of the population. I would argue that small states in many cases have, um, you know, a, a major advantage. Now, yeah, I'm not saying that you could just be like, well, I'm going to go campaign in Montana, Wyoming, uh, Idaho, uh, North Dakota instead of New York and California. No, obviously you can't. But the thing is that you're you're campaigning in those more populous states because they're more populous. Not because, you know, the Electoral College is one thing, yes, because you're getting the votes, but you're, po- you're campaigning there because they're more populous. But if you get all of these states that have very few people living and they all, you know, jump in there, I mean, you're talking about dozens of uh, electoral votes. And that's, you know, that's disproportionate. That's really disproportionate. I mean, you know, you could take five states and they don't have as many people as New York City does, for crying out loud. Um, you know, and, and that's really um, a problem that these states have a lot more, you know, pull uh, per person than does uh, New York. But, um, you know, I digress right there a little bit. I'm sorry, I do occasionally um, ramble on about these things. Um, the bottom line is that this is kind of a taste of what you're going to get. And uh, probably it's going to get better uh, because obviously uh, most of the time, anytime you do something more and more, it will get better. But, you know, we're talking politics right now, we're going to talk religion, we're going to talk, I mean, goodness, I haven't even gotten into right now, and I don't want to take up that much time, I haven't even gotten into the abortion bans that are going on in multiple states in the Union, talked about how these things are just absolutely disastrous, Um, you know, you're going to talk about abortion, there are two things, number one, um, the, the number two things that drive down abortion rates, which apparently these people should support, are the following comprehensive sexual education from middle school on and access to contraception. And both of them, if you look at these states that are supporting these things, in both of these states, these uh, people are opposing these two issues wholeheartedly. Um, they are very pro abstinence only, which is a complete and total disaster. Um, abstinence only does not work. It will never work. It's just uh, you know, it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale uh, idea, and it's actually very dangerous uh, because it purports things that are not accurate. And access to contraception again, nobody wants more abortions. I don't want more abortions. I don't know anyone amongst my libby lib friends. I don't know anyone that's actually ever come out and said, hey, you know what? Abortions, I like those things. Let's let's have more of them. Nobody wants abortions, but nobody wants it to get to the point where an abortion is even an option. If you, if you could get to a point where, you know, people had access to contraception and were intelligent enough, you know, they, they had access to information and to contraception, the number of abortions would, would bottom out because... People wouldn't be getting pregnant when they didn't want to be. I mean, that's really it. Now, having said that, I still completely and fully support a woman's right to have an abortion no matter what. 
Um, I'm not going to say that, you know, well, an accident happens, then too bad. No, 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 that's not it. What I'm saying, though, is that if your goal is to reduce abortions, and I am fully on board with reducing abortions because it is a medical procedure, and depending on where in in the pregnancy it could be, uh, you know, it could possibly have some complications. Uh, You know, I don't want, I, I, I don't want women to have to go through that. Um, I'm not a woman, so I don't ever have to worry about that, which makes my opinion on the matter pretty much moot, if you ask me. But the bottom line is that, you know, if you want to have less abortions, then take steps, take steps to ensure that less women end up having to go through pregnancy. If you do that, you will just by the mathematics have less abortions. But anyway, that's, that's something I can talk about another point because that's, not going away at all. Other things I want to talk about in uh, upcoming episodes, uh, the Indian elections, Narendra Modi, uh, proof that you can authorize the killing of a lot of people and still uh, become Prime Minister of India, um, you know, are one and the same. I would love to talk about a couple of things going on in uh, the United States and New Jersey. Um, I really want to talk about a couple of uh, things historically um, with New Jersey, um, the greatest state in the Union. You can feel free to disagree, but you can also feel free to believe that the earth is flat, which we'll get into at another point. Um, I would love to bring my brother on in the near future so that we could have an out-and-out debate uh, and uh, a potential shouting match. Um, You'll enjoy it. Um, You know, the people that live near me won't. Uh, We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss some issues of uh, religion, culture, politics, all of that stuff. It's going to come. Um, this is probably going to be the shortest recording that I have. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, sports also, by the way, um, for the record, I, uh, support Chelsea FC, um, and they will be playing on the 29th in Abaku, uh, for the Europa League against Arsenal, uh, even though, um, at least one of my best friends is an Arsenal, uh, fan, um, but nobody's perfect, right? And it's like that scene in, um, you know, Independence Day, which is, I'm, I'm not Jewish, nobody's perfect. All right, um, well, listen, this is this is a little taste of what you're going to get with me. It's going to get more intense, it's going to uh, continue going on. We're going to get guests in here, we're going to do a lot more stuff. I really hope you like it. Um, any suggestions are very welcome. Please feel free to message me, please feel free to put stuff up. Um, and I'm going to end up on Patreon eventually because I'm going to try and make a little bit of money off of this just because why not? You know, it's, it's, I, I don't plan on becoming rich from this stuff, but you know what? If I can make a little bit and that allows me, um, to get some better equipment to, to, you know, to take a little more time and do stuff and, and maybe pay for people to come over and, you know, chat with me, uh, do that. Comment everything. Let me know what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, I, I, I appreciate it. I always give my kids at the end of the year, I give my students um, a, you know, what did you like about the class? What did you not like? You're always learning. If you stop learning, the minute you stop trying to get better, um, that's when it's time to hang up the gloves, hang up the skates, whatever you will. So anyway, for After School History, this is Anthony Ashentino, uh, Anthony J. Ashentino, Signing out, and uh, I hope that you sign in for the next one and listen to it. Everyone have a great day. Bye-bye.